This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is a companion podcast to my Fox Nation special, Riddle, the search for James R. Hoffa. Be sure to go to foxnation.com to watch the whole show. And now, Riddle, the podcast. I'm Eric Sean, and welcome to Riddle, the podcast. My in-depth conversations with those involved in our Fox Nation special, Riddle, the search for James R. Hoffa and my Fox News reporting. Thanks for listening today. For the next 24 minutes, you'll hear from Melvin Goodconnect. Melvin is a former special agent in the intelligence division of the IRS. He was part of the prosecution team that put Frank Sherman in federal prison. And believe it or not, he says Sherman, despite being an admitted mafia hitman, was one of the most honorable people he ever met. He is also the author of the book, Working the Edge. But first, let me get you quickly up to speed. Jimmy Hoffa, he disappeared on July 30th, 1975, from the parking lot of the Marcus Red Fox restaurant in Bloomfield Hills, Michigan. It was believed he was headed to a meeting with Detroit mob boss Anthony Tony Jack Giacalone and New Jersey Genovese captain and Teamster official Tony Tony Pro Provenzano. Well, in 2001, Buffalino crime family member and Teamster official Frank Sharon, an admitted mafia killer, he told me he shot Hoffa in a house in Detroit. I met him as part of his proposed biography, which became the book I Heard You Paint Houses. In 2004, we went to that house. We pulled up the tiles on the hardwood floor, and we actually found blood. The pattern fit Sharon's story precisely. The greatest amount of the possible evidence was in front of the foyer closet door, where Sharon says Hoffa hit his head on the floor. Seven drops went down the hallway to the kitchen, where Sharon says Hoffa's body was dragged out by two accomplices and was cremated. The FBI did find blood. They said one drop was inconclusive in terms of the DNA match. Another one was to an unknown male. There was no match to Hoffa which is why I am calling on the government to release all of the Hoffa FBI investigation files fully now. Let the Hoffa family and the American public know what's been secret for so long and that we have been denied knowing and retest the blood evidence we found using the latest DNA technology. Here now, Melvin Goodconnect. Mel Goodconnect, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Let's go back to the beginning. Uh, how did you get involved in the case of Frank Sharon? Because you were a, a special agent in the intelligence division of the uh, Internal Revenue Service. Yes, that's correct. Uh, in uh, 1978, we, we joined the Inspector General's Office of the United States Department of Labor, Office of Organized Crime and Labor Racketeering. This uh, unit 
was a special unit in the Inspector General's Act where uh, a unit was created to investigate organized crime specifically. So I was approached by another agent to uh, come along with him to investigate labor racketeering. I knew Jimmy Hoffa was uh, gone uh, approximately two and a half years. And uh, when I was offered the job, I didn't know that it was uh, actually going to investigate the death of Jimmy Hoffa. So the case you had, uh, basically, uh, Frank Sherwin was a defendant. What was the case? The case was a, a labor racketeering case uh, with uh, Taft-Hartley violations. And was, uh, it was actually a RICO conspiracy we used to indict him. And he was charged with, uh, what, uh, labor racketeering, uh, using a car and, and payoffs and bribery and this sort of thing? That's pretty much it, Eric. Uh, the car, uh, the big Lincoln, that's what brought Jimmy Hoffa, uh, Frank Sheeran down. I, I started my investigation and uh, started looking into the relationship between a leasing company and Frank Sheeran. The leasing company uh, happened to be owned by a close associate of uh, Russell Buffalino. Russell Buffalino was the head of the crime family in, in northern Pennsylvania and is probably one of the best, well, unknown organized crime figures in the United States. And this case, you had Frank Sharon at the defense table. You testified. What was Frank Sharon like? Frank Sharon, he was a pretty scary guy. I got to tell you, he also was an honorable man. I I just couldn't believe. One of the things that happened was uh, incredible. After I convicted him of RICO racketeering influence corrupt organizations act sentencing him to 20 years he comes at me almost like a linebacker and he puts his hand out and says good job mel no hard feelings <laughs> uh, in the courtroom in the courtroom right uh, after the jury got out after the uh, uh, judge left the stand he came over to me before the any marshals can get him, and he just put his hand out and said that to me. Uh, it was incredible. That had never happened in my all my time in law enforcement. A defendant facing 20 years in jail comes over and, and shakes my hand and says, good job, no hard feelings. He was the most honorable man you ever met, and that would be surprising considering he's an admitted uh, mob killer who, who claims he killed Jimmy Hoffa, that he, that he that, had this honor. He did have this honor. It was uh, it was crazy. Uh, but if you stepped across the line, then uh, you're in trouble. Uh, an FBI agent had, uh, was talking to Sheeran's daughter out in the uh, outside the courtroom. And uh, Sheeran sees this and uh, tells the United States attorney how many murders does he have against him? 
And he says, uh, two or three, Frank, you're like, you don't know? He said, well, we're going to add some more to it. Add one more if that man doesn't get away from my daughter. <laughs> so, so he threatened to kill him right there and then. And That sounds uh, like few, Frank. That's Frank. So a few, a few days later, uh, the, the FBI agent was uh, going to his car and was uh, assaulted by some, some unknown person or persons with a blanket. So what we call that, Eric, is the availability notice. Mm -hmm. That, uh, that availability notice, uh, you know, that could have been death to that FBI agent is what it, and, and Sheeran sent the message that if you don't stop, then you're not untouchable. So that was the message. And, uh, the FBI agent came into the courtroom the next day and just started screaming and yelling uh, at Frank. And then Frank just sat there and smiled at him. Wow. You, you said he uh, scared you. you. In your book, Working the Edge, you describe him as Frankenstein, but the gentle giant. Yes, that's, uh, it was kind of funny. He was uh, a bouncer at a at a, a dance hall, which was two blocks away from my house. I'm probably 10, 12, 13 years old. And we used to go up and listen to the music at the dance hall and watch the people going in. Well, Frank Sheeran was the bouncer. I, I couldn't believe that he was the same guy I was going to put away 30 years from then. So, so, so 30 years before you, you crossed paths at, at this yeah. place? At this place, yeah, and he's chasing me away from this uh, front of the uh, dance hall because we're listening to music, and so he's shooing us away, and here comes this monster, and I was like, well, 10 years old, 10, 12 years old. Uh, That's it amazing. It was an amazing experience. That is. Yeah. Now, bring us to 1975. You believe Frank Sharon killed Jimmy Hoffa. Absolutely, no doubt in my mind. Why is that? Well, the biggest thing is uh, his ability to get close to the man. That that in and of itself uh, has to narrow it down to like one or two people. So he was there. He took Russell Buffalino in the car, the Black Lincoln, which was his downfall. The, my whole case was around that black Lincoln and a couple other cars. Let me just stop for a second because the, the black Lincoln is not the car that was at the Marcus Red Fox. You're referring to a, a, a car that was leased, and that was part of uh, a, a conviction and a payoff. So that's a separate car than the uh, car in which Sharon said he picked off up at the Marcus Red Fox. Um, yes. Page 113 what of your book. Let me just read this. This is your, what you write. Who better to yeah. do the hit than Sharon, Buffalino's assassin? Sharon had the most to lose. He killed Hoffa with a double tap to the back of Hoffa's head. Sharon left the scene to Sally Bugs and the brothers Andretta. It was on the Irishman to do the job, on his friend, for a friend. If not, Sharon would have to go. I believe that Sally Bugs Bergulio was there to ensure the job was done. If Sharon didn't shoot Hoffa, then Bergulio would take them both out. Sharon was outmanned. As you know, some like Damaldia. Dan believes that Sharon was there, was an eyewitness to the murder, but he believes Sabregulio shot him. 
uh, and, and not share it. How do you square you know, these differences and that you're so convinced and believe that Sharon was the one? Well, I know, uh, I know Sharon. I, I investigated him for years. Uh, I, well, I, I really didn't know Sally Bugs, but uh, because Sharon had shot and killed him on the streets of New York uh, a few years before, I got involved in the investigation. But uh, when that black Lincoln Continent, uh, the black Lincoln is the car that Frank Sheeran drove Russell Buffalino to Detroit, Michigan. When I centered on that car, I, I went back to find out who, le- who leased the car, where that car came from, and ultimately the car was a payoff from a company that was doing business with the union. So I expanded my investigation from there, and uh, what happened was uh, we formed a RICO. When I asked for the records of uh, Teamsters 326, Big Frank was sitting in the chair and just staring at me. He never would say anything. He just It was just like a, a hulk. The attorney was doing all the talking. He's just staring at me, which, like, you know, that's that was a little unsettling even when i presented him with the uh, the federal grand jury subpoenas he wouldn't even take them he would just stare at me and the attorney would grab him he uh that must have been unsettling yeah yeah it was especially after the, we were threatened uh and threatened by one of his goons out in the in the hallway asking us what size shoes we're wearing so he could uh measure them for cement boots <laughs> uh, you know that could have went both ways mm-hmm. but uh, i kind of took an offense because i i told him i was going to put my shoe up his ass if he uh, if he wants to take the mes- measurements later and then frank sheeran hits the door comes out of his meeting they're all screaming going crazy yeah, I, I call it the Irish, uh, the Italian overtalk when you got eight people talking at the same time and nobody's listening you got the attorney, you got Sharon, you got the, the mutant that uh, threatened me. You got me, you got my other agent. We're all standing there screaming at one another. <laughs> what a scene. Big show. I do want to point out, Sharon, uh, uh, for those who don't, don't know, claims that he shot um, Sally Bugs Bagulio in 1978, Mulberry Street, Little Italy. Um, it is still an open case, hasn't been solved. Uh, reports say there were at least two uh, witnesses say there were two gunmen. Uh, so that still is an open case. Um, yeah, the, the, that's, I think that was uh, John Francis. Yes, John uh, the Redhead Francis, who was a, fr- yeah. a friend of uh, Sharon. So that uh, it could be Francis and Sharon, um, or yeah, some well, others. He was on the he was on the uh, books and records of the teams at three twenty six. They John Francis. He was getting money out of the union. Yeah, they the 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 blood pattern that we found in the house. Uh, when you found out about that, even though there's no DNA match to the to the blood that was found, um, what did that do to you and your thinking about Frank Sharon's culpability? That that just shut the book good, Eric. He, I I knew it all along. I knew it two months after I started investigating Frank. I knew he was the one that killed Jimmy Hoffa, based on my experience as an investigator. And I tell you what, he was. Uh, it was quite something. Does the lack of a DNA match to Hoffa's blood disprove that to you? No, it doesn't. 
Why no, not? Absolutely not. I mean, look, you, you got a guy that's uh, that kills a, uh, his best friend. He goes to jail for almost almost life. And this this is the honor thing. He could have said any time he wanted to get out of jail was what happened, and he never did it. That was part of that honor thing I was talking about before. And you uh, eventually sent him back to prison. What? Because he met, he was meeting with John Staffa, who uh, Stanfa, who at the time yeah. was the alleged head of the Philadelphia crime family. Stanfa now in prison the rest of his life. That's correct. Uh, I I got a guy by the name uh, an, an informant. I developed. I called him the Big Tuna. Well, the Big Tuna happened to be driving Frank Sheeran around. He was his uh, driver for a while. Frank really didn't have very good luck with drivers. His first driver was Charlie Allen, the hitman, and he turned on him and wired him up. Now, 14 years later, I'm still investigating. He comes, uh, this uh, big tuna comes in, and uh, we start wiring him up, and he's driving Frank around. So we got the same thing 14 years later, and uh, he was meeting with John Stanford. That was about the time that Russell Buffalino was starting to fade out. And, uh, and it was a violation of his parole to meet absolutely. with Stanfa? Yes. He had no, no contacts with known criminals, uh, no going out of the state. So the FBI came over and uh, we started a joint investigation and uh, surveilled him going out of the state, surveilled him with major mob uh, figures, and then we put him back in prison. Still, he wouldn't talk. At one point, someone, who was that, Charlie Allen, directly was wired and said, did you kill Jimmy Hoffa? Yes, yes. And that was it. That was the probably, they must have been at the end of their, the FBI must have been at the end of their uh, <clears throat> agreement. You only get like 30 days to uh to uh, have a wire, so they must have been getting down to the end of their uh, time limit. So <laughs> that was it. That popped the question. That's that's when Sharon knew right away. Geez, he knew he was wired then. And I think it was in Cherry Hill, mm -hmm. and then he uh, passed off a gun and and took off to uh, Philadelphia. Do you do you think? And talking about the FBI, one thing we're calling for in Riddle. Our, our Fox Nation show and a reporting on Fox News Channel on foxnews.com. We want the government to release the FBI files unredacted. Release the FBI 302s, release the information from the informants, release what Ralph Picardo said so that the uh, American public can finally learn everything that the FBI knows. The Hoffa family wants this. They support the public release of all this material. As an investigator for years, uh, Mel, do you do you believe it's time to to get oh, it all out there? Absolutely. You know, we were fighting with the FBI the entire time. We were uh, almost the entire time on the strike force. We had two simultaneous grand juries going on against Frank Sheeran, coming out of the same strike force offices. It uh, it was crazy. It was a crazy period. 
And, we were always and, fighting with them. And, and so why, why they're do they're still fighting? And why, you know, they say they would say they they directed us to file another Freedom of Information Act request. But, you know, when they've had they've released this to the Detroit Free Press and, and Barbara Kranzer, uh, Hoffa's daughter, uh, uh, was un- largely unsuccessful in her first uh, couple of attempts. It's all redacted. I mean, tons of material with with mm. with with cro- things that are crossed out and bl- and you can't read it. And they're off- obviously keeping it secret and hiding something mm. legitimate reasons, maybe for uh, sources and methods and informants. But many of them or most uh, are, are, are gone now. What do you think this material would show if indeed we are able to get our hands on it? There could be, uh, I'm just speculating, it could be uh, additional crimes and associations that some people don't want to be aired. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to start getting back into the J, uh, John F. Kennedy assassination, which I believe was done by organized crime. Uh, the same thing happened there. So why not get all this information out? unredacted to the public. This is a crime of the century and a, and a mystery of the century, and it has to be resolved. And in terms of uh, the DNA testing uh, of the floor, it's, uh, what, you know, uh, 15 years later now since when we first went there, and there's obviously advances in DNA testing. Do you think the FBI, would you call on the FBI to retest the floorboards that were taken up out of the house that we found to retest the, uh, the the blood evidence and the suspected blood evidence that we found in the house. Absolutely. Oh, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't want to do that. I mean, they were investigating, uh, you know, in 1975, uh, 78, along with me, uh, to 1998 when I retired. I was still investigating it. So why not? And one person who was in the file, certainly, Ralph Picardo, uh, it's been said that uh, the Andretta brothers, uh, uh, or Steve Andretta, came to visit him, and that Picardo uh, supposedly uh, spilled the beans uh, about what happened. There, there are two yeah. suspects, two major suspects still alive. Thomas Andretta, in his 80s, lives in Las Vegas. Uh, he took the fifth in 1975. We have reached out to him. He has not responded to our request for comment or an interview. Chucky O'Brien, who mm-hmm. uh, told the AP in 2006 he didn't have anything to do with it or didn't know, he yes. took the fifth in 1975. We've reached out to him, and sources close to uh, Chucky say that he does not want to talk about it. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me about Ralph Picardo and, and your experience with him, because he was an inmate at Trenton State when this meeting allegedly happened. Yes. Uh, he was an inmate, and according to what Ralph told me, the attorney and uh, the Andrettas came to uh, pretty much extort him out of his businesses. So they wanted to him to write uh, write off all the businesses back to the mob. So he he kind of did that, and uh, he started getting feelings. Uh, this is at the time that uh, the attorney left the room, and then the Andretta told him that uh, not in so many words, probably uh, that they did a job in Detroit, uh, you know. And then Frank, you know, Ralphie took that ball and uh, ran with it. Do you think he was telling the truth or he embellished or was he someone that could actually rely on? Ralphie is a liar. He's, he was a crazy, crazy guy. But uh, look, even liars tell the truth. <laughs> you know, little Ralphie was, 
he was accused of pumping five rounds into his uh, one of his associates, and uh, he uh, he was a crazy guy. He would just like he would be calm one minute, next minute he's off the wall. He, uh, I don't know what else to. So, you know, when I first picked him up, I didn't know who he was. So here we are, you know, I'm guarding this guy, don't know who he is. And he says, my name's Ralph Picardo. I said, uh, oh, no, because I knew the name from the Hoffex memos. And then he says, oh, there's a $50,000 contract on, out on me. And uh, what are you going to do about it? I said, oh, man, you know, it seems like it always comes down to me. <laughs> So uh, what I had to do in my own defense was give him my uh, my backup weapon, a thirty-eight caliber Smith and Wesson special that I had on my ankle. So I gave it to him, and we're guarding each other for six to six <laughs> months to a, to a year. Well, you, you said he was crazy and also a liar, but well, I mean, as you said, sometimes they tell the truth. Yes. Did he? Yeah, did, he did he ever t say anything to you about? Frank Sheeran or about Jimmy Hoffa? Yeah, yeah. He said uh, that they they actually, you know, the guys killed Jimmy Hoffa. So he he never mentioned Frank to me in relationship to the to his side of that thing. I don't know if he even knew that Frank was in, you know, part of it. But he did say he he did mention the suspects that they killed Jimmy Hoffa. Yes, that they went to Detroit. They <clears throat> they did it. They put him in a 55-gallon drum and then shipped him back to uh, the East Coast. Now, Ralphie tells me, I said, well, where the hell is he now? He said, well, he's he's in the dog food. So what do you mean? <laughs> he says, uh, they put him in a 55-gallon drum, shipped him to Northeast Pennsylvania, which is Russell Buffalino's territory, and then they shredded him in the dog food. Oh, oh man, it's it just it is amazing. Do you think finally, uh, Mel? Do you think you know what would take this for it to be completely solved? You know, you've got Frank Sharon's story, you have his confession uh, that you believe, you've got the corroboration uh, uh, seemingly of the blood evidence and pattern that we found on the floor of the house. And we're calling for the release of all the FBI files unredacted. Get it out there. Um, that's our call. What Great. would you like to see happen? And do you think that will finally bring closure to the case? I think it will. I think the blood evidence uh, and the new technology out there today uh, can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Frank killed Jimmy Hoffa. Mel Goodconnect author of Working the Edge, all about his life as a special agent in the intelligence division of the IRS in Philadelphia. Uh, born and raised and knew Frank Sharon since you were 10 years old <laughs> and <laughs> ended up prosecuting him, being on the team of prosecuting him. Uh, Mel, my great thanks and, and thank you for your involvement, for your service to our nation and, and to the uh, insights that you bring to us about Jimmy Hoffa and Frank Sharon. Thank you very much for having me, Eric. Thanks for listening today. Check out all the other Riddle podcasts. You can also follow me on Twitter and Facebook. And just Google my name, 
put Frank Scherer next to it or Jimmy Hoffa, and you can see the other articles we've written, and you can keep up with my reporting on Fox News. I'm Eric Sean. Thanks again for Riddle, the podcast. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.